Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my two colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. And today we're going to speak about stock options. Uh, Dan, I think, appropriately outlined this uh, conversation and titled it Stock Options Galore. There is a lot of information when it comes to stock options, not just about the construction and how they work, um, but also how do you look at them? How do you value them? What is the qualitative, quantitative side? Just like any other financial topic that we discuss. Today, what we're really going to be speaking about more specifically, just so our listeners, is really employee stock compensation. That's really what we're going to be discussing, not necessarily puts, rights, warrants that are, are options within the investment space, but really how employees are compensated with their company that they work for stock. So there's a lot of different, we'll get into it, a lot of different ways of, of employees being able to receive stock of the company that they work for. But typically the purpose for the company to be able to you know, use stock options as an as a lever to compensate their employees is, is kind of twofold. One is incentives. Nathaniel talks about incentives all the time. Um, if the employee has vested interest within the company's well-being, aka the stock price going up, they may work harder. They may, you know, promote more of it. They may push it to get it because now they are going to benefit not just from doing a good job, but monetarily as well. Uh, I think the other side of that story is sometimes, you know, stock compensation can be used instead of cash. So if a company, for example, as a startup doesn't have a ton of cash on hand to maybe get that CEO that they really want because they can't pay him that salary, what they can do is maybe they'll split it 50-50 with, you know, stock compensation and cash payments. So it can be a vehicle to use to leverage, um, you know, your cash position. Uh, as well. So it just depends on, I think, where companies are at and what they're looking for and what they're trying to achieve. When you're looking at publicly listed companies, typically speaking, I would say that, you know, with top executives, they'll really tie their compensation packages to stock option plans because, again, it's trying to align the incentives to the shareholders, right? So they are economically driven towards that. Um, but what's really interesting that we've really seen too in the recent I think in just the recent years is a lot of these tech companies, startups will have these equity compensation packages. And so like Facebook, when it was in, in its infancy, Amazon, Netflix, um, and then they continue to utilize their stock to incentivize their employees. So before you sit like probably I've, from what I've read, the tech, the, uh, the dot com bubble era, you saw a lot of equity compensation that a lot of people lost their money in within the tech arena. And I think equity compensation kind of went away for more of the lower employees um, on the totem pole. But I think it's really ramped back up with a lot of these larger tech firms because we see a decent amount where, you know, different levels of people are getting executive like compensation packages, which is really interesting. And, you know, we've just kind of developed our own competency in it because of that. So that's kind of the purpose incentives, maybe utilizing, not utilizing their cash. I don't know if anyone else has an opinion on that, but that's kind of my two cents there. We definitely have a fun niche when it comes to these kinds of compensation methods, of which a lot of times we're talking about stock options. Not always are we talking about stock options, as you've mentioned. Perhaps we can dig a little bit into the different kinds of compensation methods that a employee might find 
at some of these entities. Yeah, I, and what's we can really kind of walk through a couple different ones. And it, what's interesting is a lot of people, are, this is extremely foreign to them because they usually have no idea. Maybe they were in a job that it was just, you know, a bonus with some salary and then they get into a, a new startup or a, an up and coming tech firm and all of a sudden they get what's called a restricted stock unit or they get what's called an instead of stock option or they start receiving what's called a non-qualified stock option. Maybe they get some phantom stock. Maybe they get the ability to purchase into what's called an employee stock purchase plan or maybe they the company has turned their own entity into what's called an employee stock ownership plan or an ESOP. You know, there's a lot of different ways that companies can utilize uh, equity compensation in order to, again, drive some of that uh, interest along with their employees. So those are the ones I just mentioned. You got there's and there's more than that, too, which is just kind of some of the, the basics. Um, but again, those are RSUs, ISOs, NQSOs, phantom stock, ESPPs and ESOPs. So those are all the different kinds of options. Um, and then you, you know, typically speaking, you have, you're either granted those, so they'll, they'll tie it to your, your compensation package. So let's use restricted stock units for a good example. Um, usually what we'll see is that you'll get a pretty good base salary. And then with your quote unquote bonus, what they'll do is they'll tie what's called a restricted stock unit to a certain value. So maybe that person gets restricted stock units worth $250,000. But what's interesting about restricted stock units is that once they vest, and we can get into some more of the details of vesting, once they vest within um, their a certain time frame, that entire amount is then considered income to them, right? So it's really kind of like a bonus structure. And what's also interesting is it's typically tied to time frame. So you'll get 250 grand, but it may be vested over a four-year period, once a year, every quarter, however the company decides to set it up. So what that does as well is it allows the company to try to tie the employee and retain them. So I should have mentioned maybe there's a third cog to that wheel of retention. And that's really also where it's used to kind of what people refer to as a golden handcuffs. So it really gets you stuck because maybe a lot of your compensation is tied to a certain time frame. But what's also interesting within the vesting schedule is you can also get tied to performance. So if you have somebody that needs to perform within the company, they may tie it to certain metrics and certain things that you have to hit. And if you don't hit those metrics, then you can't vest within those, those units, for example. You know, there is, you know, Dan had mentioned in the outline too, supplemental where there are, we have seen some companies where you have the ability to actually buy in or utilize some of your own compensation and defer it, technically speaking, into some of these option plans. That's also an interesting way to be able to incentivize employees to get inside uh, the stock at a, at a good rate instead of going and essentially buying it on the open market. Um, so which is, always, which is always interesting and you have to evaluate, see how it plays into your portfolio and so on. But um, yeah, that's, that's really kind of what we're looking at and, and how that necessarily functions versus granted versus supplemental. Typically, we see more granted than the supplemental. ESOPs and ESPPs are also more supplemental where you put your own cash to the table there. Tim, uh, how about some of these associated terms we, we often hear about when it comes to um, stock options and so on, such as you mentioned vesting schedule, but what about things like grand price or strike price or exercise price? How about some of those terms? Yeah, I mean, associated terms, there's a lot of terms 
that are functioning towards uh, stock options. So a good one like Dan mentioned is grant price. So what happens is when you're typically granted stock options, employee stock options, like RSUs, ISOs, NQSOs, that that's gonna be tied to a price at that date. So if it was March 1st, 2020, and you were granted 500,000 shares of non-qualified stock options, they're typically gonna make it tied to, if it's a publicly traded company, tied to its stock price on that date. It's usually the closing price of March 1st, 2020. Now, I don't know if March 1st landed on a Saturday or Sunday, but I'm just using it as an example. So what that price does is it's your grant price, meaning that's really where it kind of sets your quote unquote floor. Then, for example, if you're going to go ahead and exercise your options, so exercise your right to be able to then turn that into cash or into um, a common stock, for example, then you're going to use the grant price to really see what the, the benefit or the, the increase in the stock price from the, the time of the grant. And then you're going to start using um, some calculations to figure out what you made, what is, what's going to go towards taxes, and so on and so forth. So a grant price is really important. Um, what's interesting as well is let's say that you get a non-qualified stock option and the stock price is $35 and that's your grant price, 35 bucks. And then you decide that you want to exercise your right uh, maybe at 12 months later, but the stock price is at $20. Well, because the grant price is higher than your exercise price, it actually is really worthless. So it's really nothing to you. So kind of going back into the history when you're looking at the tech, uh, the tech boom, that's what happened to a lot of people. At least that's, again, what I've read is that a lot of these equity compensation packages really became worthless. Um, and that's really what that means. So you really, the grant price is important, which then leads me to the exercise price, which is typically the price that you're going to exercise at, which again, if we're, we're using our example as a publicly listed company, it will be the day or at market or whatever the price is when you decide to initiate that uh, quote unquote trade. Um, there's other things too that are like vesting schedules. So vesting schedules are a big deal. I've already kind of mentioned it. Typically speaking, um, these are all tied to vesting uh, periods. Most of the time it's time frame. It's you got to be here for four years. You got to be here for two years. But don't get me wrong. There's definitely compensate or uh, equity compensation packages that are tied to metrics of performance. And sometimes it's subjective. Sometimes it's peer reviews. Some, you know, they can really tie it to whatever they so choose. Um, and then, you know, when you're looking at ISOs and NQSOs, um, what's interesting about those is, is what you, how you exercise them. You can hear like, oh, are you going to do a cashless exercise? Are you going to do a cash exercise? And what that really means is do you need to bring money to the table in order to exercise those or which would be cash, which would be a cash exercise, or you could do what's called a cash list and utilize some of the gain that you've made within the stock and use that in order to exercise your right. Um, and so that is always interesting. Now we can go into a lot of details on why that makes sense and doesn't make sense, but overall, you know, those are some of the terms. You're also looking at what's called the bargain element. So that's really tied towards ISOs. And that the difference of that is your grant price, subtracting your exercise price, and whatever you made within that timeframe, is going to call, be called your bargain element. That bargain element is then going to be used for looking at what how you're going to become taxed. So there's more kind of terminology when it comes to that, but I don't want to you know bore people to absolute death. But it also is pretty interesting to see. And uh, Dan, I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to shut up for a minute, and uh, I'm going to let you talk about what we see 
just in general with our clientele and with the companies that we typically work with, uh, with clients. We do see it all over the gamut. Uh, it's Amazon does a lot of RSUs. So does Facebook. We see all sorts of different options within environments like Dell. Uh, I think over the last probably decade or so, we, we have definitely seen a shift where a lot of larger entities have gone a little bit away from stock options and have instead offered restricted stock or restricted stock units. Um, but we still see uh, a lot of options. We particularly see a lot of stock options because of our work we do with Netflix, where we do see granted and supplemental non, non-qualified stock options, uh, which are always very interesting and have become pretty unique in their own, in their own circle. Uh, Tim and I were chatting about this. We, we typically find more so the ISO environment or other performance kind of based stock options within, say, the startup community compared to a lot of these larger tech related giants where we see more of uh, more of these RSUs. I also think that there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of confusion, obviously, as Tim said, there's a lot of terminology that comes into play. So we typically also see people maybe uh, misusing a lot of these entities, um, not fully optimizing it, which we can actually talk about that here in a second. And, uh, and, and like I said, Nathaniel is so much, our podcasts are so much better when Nathaniel is, is not, not quiet because he's just such a lively human being. So I think maybe what makes sense is to talk a little bit um, to him about how, from a quantitative standpoint, we bring value with stock options. But before we touch on that, just to get Tim a couple more words in, Tim, can you bring it back a little bit just to talk about taxation? You've hinted at it a couple times uh, going through some of these elements, but, but taxation is a big component of stock option world and people really can get burned because they don't often be fined from what we see it getting factored in to the extent that it should. Yeah. That's a it, taxation does become a pretty big deal when it comes to, um, you know, employee equity compensation packages. Uh, and, and it just depends on what you've received. And so if you receive something, please make sure you under, you know, pass it to the appropriate advisors, make sure they understand it. So you can then understand the taxation that comes with it. You know, I'll start with ISOs because ISOs are, you know, which again, incentive stock options are a little bit more complex than the other ones from a taxation standpoint. The reason why the it's called an incentive stock option is because there's a tax incentive to this um, instrument. So the way that, that wor- this works is as long as you have held your stock option two years past the grant date, and then have also exercised your right to own that stock. And then after that exercise have waited an additional year, that will then put you into long-term capital gains territory, right? So it has to be two years from the grant date. And then once you exercise, you have to hold it for another year in order to get into long-term capital gains rates. Um, if you do that, if you don't do that and it becomes uh, you know, non-qualified or they, it's a, it's not qualified through the taxation, then that is going to be considered short-term capital gains. And that's a big deal. And typically speaking, when people are receiving stock options, they're typically higher paid employees. And that means that, you know, the difference between long-term capital gains and short-term capital gains can be, you know, detrimental 
depending on from a taxation standpoint. So you have to be just very conscious about when to exercise, how to exercise and go from there. If you're looking at non-qualified stock options, again, the reason why it's called non-qualified is because there is no incentive to them. You don't, the government's not giving any benefit from a taxation standpoint. And so when you do exercise these, then the bargain element that I mentioned before is then going to be considered W-2 income. That's how it's gonna filter through your, in, your, your taxation. And I will go back to ISOs. The bargain element also is what you're looking at from a taxation. And I also forgot to mention that when you do do that, even, even if you do the long-term capital gains for ISOs, you also have to be very conscious that that bargain element is also an adjustment to AMT. So you can also get hit with alternative minimum taxation with ISOs once you exercise as well in the year you exercise. So again, not to get into like extreme details, but just something that you have to be conscious about. Following back up with RSUs or restricted stock units or restricted stock, when those become vested, it is no longer restricted. So the IRS says, well, now there's no risk of forfeiture. And that means it is now in your hands. And that means we're going to tax you as if it was income as well. So, you know, there's also other taxation when it comes to phantom stock. If you're looking at the ESPPs, ES, you know, ESOPs, different things. But those are really the three big ones that we see quite a bit for, for our listeners. Um, but again, just be sure you get all the documentation. You understand exactly what you own. Talk to the right advisors to let them know, hey, how does this tax work? What does that look like? And you just got to go from there. Nathaniel, I'll make you a deal. I still miss not hearing from you. So if you are willing to talk about some of the quantitative value elements, I'm happy to talk about some of the qualitative value elements, but you first. Okay. So with stock options, the, the real advantage is the ability based on the grant price to become a long-term shareholder of the company that you work for. So the advantage is that you're locking in a price, the grant price, and then 10 years from now, you will, within that 10 year period, you can then buy that stock at that price. And if your company has been doing well, then you will have had locked in a very low price relative to the market value that you may choose to exercise at that point in time. That is an extreme advantage versus what is available to investors like me, for example, or even to uh, stock option uh, buyers and sellers uh, of the regular options that one can purchase uh, in today's public stock markets. So I can go into that a little bit more. So the, the options that, that I as an investor can purchase are far different than what uh, you may receive as a, as a form of your stock compensation. The longest that one can purchase a stock option for on the public markets is as far out as basically two years, and they're called leaps options. That's as far out as you can go. So if you have the ability to receive stock compensation, be it either granted or supplemental, it should be a, a deep thought analysis of whether that makes sense for you or not. It should, it should be taken into consideration, especially if the term is longer than two years, which most, uh, I believe most stock options are. 
And then another great advantage is that the options that you receive as a, as a form of stock compensation uh, are not in a hundred share lots like they are in uh, for investors like me. You'll, you'll get issued shares based typically on a percentage of your income and of the value of the grant price times the number of shares is equal to a percentage of your income at that point in time. And that can be an odd lot amounts. So you again have an advantage of not having to worry about putting up a whole bunch of money up front to uh, exercise those options at that point in time. Instead of 100, you could be dealing with 10 at a time. And so to round it up, you should definitely consider them, but always in consultation with your advisor. Dan? Yeah, that's great, Nathaniel. I knew it would be. Uh, there's, there are elements, like he said, from a quantitative standpoint that kind of blend into qualitative, this qualitative conversation too. For example, um, taxation is, is something to consider. When you take these as income, you're going to get taxed on it. So spreading that over time might make a lot of sense if you are an executive who is going to retire or maybe you're going to take a position elsewhere where maybe you're getting um, other compensation in, in play outside of salary and it's going to be a lower salary, might be a good time to consider exercising some of those options from a taxation standpoint. Or um, another one that we see all the time, people just aren't aware of it, is that, again, like Nathaniel has said and Tim has said, the, we're dealing with stock options. They will expire at a certain point in time. So it may make sense just because of an exercise date that we that we go through and actually exercise these options. Um, again, quantitative but also qualitative is is what can actually drive an over con, um, concentration within your portfolio of a particular entity. Now, the three of us um, are not squeamish when it comes to over concentration, but that's actually very rare. Most people we speak to really have a hard time feeling like most of their portfolio is geared towards one holding. So there's a qualitative feeling of lowering that concentration, and there could be a qualitative element to that as well. And then of course, where you see the valuation comes into a big play too. Now this is highly speculative because of the time frame that a lot of these options um, really are being discussed due to that expiration standpoint. You have to look at this as somewhat more speculative than anything else just simply do the time frame. We're not talking about 20 years that you're holding on to these. So if a person felt for some reason that um, they, that the entity that they hold is highly overvalued for whatever reason they feel that way, might be worth actually talking about peering down those options by exercising some of them. And of course then to how you plan to use these. So a very difficult part due to the speculation and the usage is this money is real and, and often I, a lot of times you talk to people, they don't realize that it is real money. So if you were to use that money for a specific purchase, sometimes due to the speculative nature, you just got to be okay with when you exercise that those options because they could be very different the next day, better or worse for you. But what we often tell people is when we're looking at a speculative play, simply be comfortable with the price at which you're, you're taking these. It can change very much but this is real compensation. And like any other asset, it's really important to put purpose behind that 
actual asset to give it really um, greater value. And that's what we're asking you to do here too, is you have to stick with the price and be okay with that due to the nature of, of these entities. So with that being said, to, uh, to wrap this up in our standard fashion, if we can go around the table and talk a little bit about some lasting thoughts. I just touched on it, but I'm gonna to touch on it again. It's really important to understand that these assets are real assets and they're best utilized if we put purpose behind those assets to give them greater value in the usage of them. Gosh, dang it, Dan. He took I take my, yours? He, almost, he pretty much took my final thought. Um, what I, I was gonna ask, son of a God, now I gotta come up with a new one, but I think I have one. So, you know, my final thought is, please be sure to make sure you understand your stock options. Like Dan said, they are an asset, they're real. You know, take the time, get the documents in the right hands of the right people to make sure you understand it. The 10 year exercise period, it does come up. And if you're working hard, time, having fun, time does fly. And it can be worth a decent amount of money. Um, my, but outside of that, you know, stock options can be complex. Stock options can have different variations to them. But at the end of the day, as Dan mentioned, money is fungible. And what I mean by that is a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Just because you may be receiving that dollar in equity compensation doesn't mean that it's not a dollar. So you have to treat it just the same. And yes, it is good to say, you know, I look at it as a bonus and it's, you know, play money or it's funny money. It still is growing. It still has value. It's still like any other dollar that you have. So just to, so make sure you just take it serious, just like anything else is, even if you're getting it in income streams. Um, and so then you can put purpose behind it, you can be effective with it, and you can utilize it appropriately. Nathaniel, you are now up. Be rational about your options. As always, nailed it. Listening. <laughs> he did. And that's why I knew he was going to say that. As always, thank you for listening to three guys talk about their love for finance. Have a great night. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer, or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.